Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herbs. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret over the one who is evil and prospers. Father, we trust in you today that though there are still great injustices in this nation and in this world, we trust in you as sovereign, as supreme, as righteous, as good, as loving, as the good judge over all the nations of this earth. Lord, we want to thank you for these precious brothers and sisters of ours who blessed us through song today. And we especially want to thank you for these brothers and sisters who came from the country north of us. We thank you for the freedom that they've experienced, both in the physical realm and the freedom that the gospel brings. And Father, we pray for that same freedom to be experienced throughout all of North Korea one day soon. We pray for justice and righteousness for the nation of North Korea. We pray that you will uproot all evil from that land and establish and plant oaks of righteousness. That you will establish righteous leaders who will lead these people in truth, in love, and with compassion. And so for the many orphans in that nation even now, we pray, O oh Father of the fatherless, that you would hold them tight now, provide for their needs, feed their stomachs today, and bring freedom to those who are bound by deep injustices. And Lord, we pray for those who are in the prison camps that you would strengthen them, that you would let them know that you are there with them, that they are not alone, that their plight is not forgotten. God, we pray for the reunification of this nation to happen one day soon. So that once again we may gather together in the city of Pyongyang, seeking the face of the Lord who blessed this peninsula many years ago. And that you would breathe revival again over Korea in both north and south. Revive your church again. Make us hungry for the Lord again. Let us honor the Lord once again in this nation, tearing down the idols, the idols of dictatorship and the idols of materialism from this peninsula. 
And Lord, we bless this choir to be a source of blessing in North America as well as they go forth next year. That you would awaken hearts in the churches that they minister in. That you would raise up more intercessors for this nation. That you would raise up more men and women of God who will give up their lives and prepare to go inside North Korea in due time. So, Father, we thank you that you love this nation of Korea and that you have not given up on us. And so, Lord, today, on this Lord's Day, we speak forth blessing throughout this nation for every church, both in public and in private, both above ground and underground. Bless your churches in Korea to be lights and agents of change. We exalt you today. Almighty God, Lord of heaven and earth, Lord of North Korea and South, we bless your holy name today and declare that you are worthy of worship. We honor your presence here today. We not only acknowledge that you are here through the presence of your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we adore you, we worship you now, and we bow before you. Have your way, Holy Spirit, this day. Speak to hearts, change lives, and revive this nation again. Father, I ask that you would strengthen me, your servant, to be a faithful mouthpiece of your word. That I would only be an arrow that points people back to Jesus. God, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it is in that precious redeemer's name we pray. Amen. God is here. Amen. And we honor his presence. You know, uh, Korea has some pretty interesting health checks for the body, for the whole body. Uh, you know, every few years uh, or so, uh, myself, our staff, and various other people who are part of organizations throughout Korea, they are required to get a full body checkup. And now, normally, uh, I'm okay with people taking blood out of my veins. I'm okay with getting x-rays and all these things like that. But I've encountered some uncomfortable tests that I had to do after I came to Korea. Uh, for example, you know, um, one, one of the tests that I had to get, uh, they literally stuck tubes in every single hole of my body. Every single hole. And it was pretty weird. And uh, another test that I was about to take, uh, the nurse asked me, would you like us to put you to sleep before we look down your throat. And I was like, uh, and I was like, why would you do that? Well, you know, I need to ask you because if you choose to be put to sleep, uh, it's going to take a lot longer because you have to be put to sleep, we have to do the exam, and then we have to wait for you to wake up. And so I was like, no, I want to finish this as soon as possible. I could, I could handle you looking down my throat. I don't have to be put to sleep. And so I want to get out of here soon so you could do that. And so um, they had me lie down on my side, and the next thing I knew, they put this huge tube down my throat. And they're like, swallow, swallow. I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, oh my 
gosh. I was like, next time I'm going to be put to sleep. But actually, I was like, next time I'm not doing this exam. Uh, you know, I actually know uh, one person who also did uh, the same test, and that person stopped him and was like, you are not putting this down my throat. I'm not going to mention any names here, but... But, you know, what they were doing is they needed to do, put this tube in order to really explore and examine what's going on on the inside. Uh, you know, kind of like a thermostat. You know, it will, it's seeking to reveal uh, what's really happening on the inside to establish real health checks of what my physical condition is really is like, both on the inside and out. Because a lot of times when we go through certain tests, there will be exterior factors that don't really reflect what's really happening on the inside of our bodies. But doctors need to do that every once in a while to really see the condition of our physical bodies. And in a similar way, what I want to do today is I want to go through a health check for you spiritually. I want to take your temperature. Now, I won't be sticking anything in your mouth or anywhere else for that matter. Uh, praise the Lord. But what I do want to do is take us through certain exams or tests that the Scripture will reveal uh, what is really happening inside us spiritually. And so I want to take us through a health test for your spiritual condition today. Uh, and as I do, uh, it'll help us get a better gauge as to where we really are in our spiritual journey. And so open your Bibles to James chapter 4. We continue our study through the book of James today. Uh, and what we will look at is where we are spiritually. What is the spiritual condition of our souls? So follow along with me in your outline as well. And uh, what, so what is the first thing that will reveal where we are spiritually? Well, first of all, uh, we learn this today, and that is my spiritual condition is revealed by my longings. So everyone repeat, my longings. What you long for, what you desire, the deepest wants of your life, what are they? Because that will reveal your spiritual condition. Let's look at James chapter 4, starting from verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, your longings, your desires are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And so he is revealing something for us here, James is, and one of the first tests that we will go through today is to examine the longings of our hearts because that is one of the inner tests that reveals the true spiritual condition of our lives. And James also is mentioning in these opening verses of this chapter that a key cause of many of our fights and quarrels is because of our passions. Now, passions here doesn't just mean enthusiasm. The word for passions here actually means our selfish desires. Okay, so he's revealing a, a key cause of our fights is the selfish desires 
that wage war within us. So we fight each other, we hate each other because of our selfish desires or the longings that we have that are at war against each other. You see, there is a war within our hearts. It is flesh against flesh many times. But even for believers, it is a war of flesh against spirits, as Jesus teaches. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There is a war going on every time you see this type of division and conflict. Now, we see this fight in children very clearly. When they fight with each other, saying, mine, mine, this toy is mine, no, it's mine. We see this conflict there. And even for my son, you know, he's going to be turning two next month. Uh, but now I'm starting to see his flesh manifest a little bit more. You know, before he was always just angel. But now I see that he truly is a son of Adam. <laughs> and, you know, uh, recently, you know, we try not to give him too much sugar and stuff. But one time we were at a restaurant and this restaurant had some, uh, like, nice, sweet like sweetened uh, rice crackers with like sugar on it and stuff like that. So we're like, all right, we'll give him some. And so, uh, at, you know, he starts to enjoy it. Oh my goodness, this is really good. It's like, you know, how have you been keeping this from me? He didn't really say that, but all right. So he's like eating this, eating this. And so we wanted to see if he would share. And so I'm going to Enoch. I open up and I say, Enoch, you want to share with daddy? Ah. Uh, and he looks at this and then all of a sudden he goes, oh, because it's, it's a struggle for him because he loves daddy. But now he loves this cracker too, and he does not want to share. And so, you know, after that initial frustration, he starts eating again. He's eating, eating, eating. eating. And I go, no, Enoch, share with daddy. Ah, and he goes, oh. It was amazing. Like, I can physically see his flesh at war with his heart. And so, you know, I, I had like uh, one of his, uh, like a, uh, what, is, what is that, um, Tayo, there's a Korean train or truck, a bus, I'm sorry, bus. And also like I had a Snoopy doll and so, hey, do you want to share with them? You know, I hold up the Snoopy doll and stuff. And so he feeds the Snoopy doll because he knows Snoopy will not really eat his cracker. <laughs> Very smart kid for 23 months. But what was fascinating for me in that interaction was I am seeing his flesh now starting to be at war with his heart. It's like, I love you, Daddy, but I love this so much too. And it's a war. But you see, as we get older, we are much better with hiding our selfishness outwardly. Right? So we know how to pretend like we're good. But inside our heart's desires are still there, and they are at war with the Spirit. Verse 2, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. Now, we may not physically kill someone, hopefully, right? but we are willing to kill a relationship. We are willing to kill a reputation through gossip and slander. We are willing to kill a friendship if they offend us, if they have something we want that we cannot have. You know, I know of some church splits in the U.S. that some of my friends were involved with 
where these two parties were at war with each other within a church over just some really stupid political issues. And they were so filled with anger and hatred towards each other, and they did not want the other party to use the sanctuary. Both sides would hire or call their own police in order to keep the other sides out. It's very sad. I know of other church uh, splits in the U.S. They fought over, get this, the color of the church carpet. Because throughout its history, it was red. And we all know red is the color of the blood of Jesus, and that's the most holy color to have for a carpet. And they were at war over something so stupid as color of carpet. I know of other fights in churches that involve deacons literally chasing each other with knives on the church lawn. One of my friends, he grew up in that setting, and he still has vivid memories of seeing these deacons chasing each other with knives before the church split. See, what we long for within our desires reveals our spiritual condition. What do I really want? Things to satisfy self or things that will glorify God? And then verse 2 also says, you do not have because you do not ask. Now, this is actually a reference to prayer. So you don't have because you didn't pray for it. So he's saying proof of your selfish condition is that your longings don't lead you to the place of prayer. You don't have the things that you want because you don't ask the one who is the giver of all good gifts. So we're in a good place spiritually when our longings lead us to the Lord through prayer. But when we desire the things for self, when, we, when it leads to division and disrespect of others in the process, it shows the real condition of our spiritual lives. You see, prayer is the proper posture and the proper place for our hearts to receive from the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. But an even greater truth is that delight yourself in the Lord, and the Lord is the one whom you desire. But then some people might be like, hey, you know, I did pray. I did ask God, Eddie. Hey, let me tell you a verse, Eddie. Whatever you ask for in my name, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Come on, Eddie. That's what I'm claiming. I'm naming this promise. I'm claiming this promise. I asked for it. I believe I'll get it and it's mine. I deserve it. James foresees this argument as well. And that is why he says in verse 3, you ask, okay, you prayed, and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, again, your selfish desires. He says, okay, some of you do pray, but the reason why you did not receive that answer is because you ask with wrong motives, for selfish motives, so that you can satisfy your selfish desires. You see, to God, your motives matter. What you do is important. But why you do it is more important. Coming to gather together as a people of God on the Lord's Day, that is important, but why you gather is more important. Prayer is important to do. It's a great thing to do. But why you pray is more important. 
to the heart of God. Your desires matter. Your longings matter to God. What you want is important to God. He knows the number of hair on your head. He cares for every detail of your life. What you want matters to God, but why you want those things matters more. Our motives in prayer matter greatly to God because our motives reveal what we really want, what we really desire. Because too often, Christianity in our generation, we use God in order to get what we want instead of using all that we have to get more of God. What do you want? What do you really want? Like if you could have anything right now, what would that be? That reveals your spiritual condition. Amen? So that's the first test for us as we scope inside to see what's really going on there. And we need to see what are my longings? What do I really want? That if I could have anything, if there's one thing that I knew, if I ask, I could get it, this would be it. That reveals where you are at spiritually. Second test. My spiritual condition is also revealed by my loves. Everyone repeat, my loves. The things that we love. James 4.4. 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He's saying you cannot love the things of this world and love the things of God. In fact, he uses some harsh language here. Until now, uh, throughout this letter, James has been calling them brothers, sisters, loving, affectionate family uh, names. But now, he changes his tone a little bit and says, you adulterous people. Why? Because of their love relationship and their friendship with the world. Now, friendship here is not like the friendship that we think. It's like a casual person you know and you kind of like them. You guys could eat a meal and that's cool, whatever. No, it's not about a casual relationship here. Friendship that is uh, being referred to here is about a close, committed relationship where you value what they value, where you love what they love. Because if we love what the world loves, he's saying that we don't love God. You know, recently the uh, former NBA star Dennis Rodman, he visited North Korea and befriended the leader of North Korea, and he calls him his good friend. Now, what upsets people is not that they're friends. I mean, that's fine if there's a friendship there. But what upsets people is what that friendship really represents, what it symbolizes. Because it's, in essence, he's saying, I'm okay with his values. I'm okay with how he treats his own people. I'm okay with all the other injustices that are happening. That's what upsets people. And that's what that friendship really represents. And that is why verse 4 says, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Because if our values look just like the world's, if what we want looks just like the world's, if what we love looks just like the world, then it is the world that we love 
and not Jesus. You see, that is the great deception of the prosperity gospel. That is the great evil of the prosperity gospel. It is holding up temporary toys of this world, lifting them up as supreme treasure to live for, and then uses God and Christianity as a means to get it. I've been in worship services where right before they take this huge fundraising campaign offering, they'll call up somebody from the audience. I've been in these worship settings, and the pastor will call up uh, the sister and says, hey, why don't you share your testimony the last time we did this miracle fundraising campaign? And she'll say, you know, I was in debt, um, my car was broken, but I, heard, I wanted to give to this miracle campaign, and I gave all the money that I had. I could not even buy my next meal. And then suddenly the next week, God gave me $100,000 and a brand new car, and everybody's cheering. And these people who are elevating, see, you could get, give God money, and you know what? You'll get more money. Give God money in this offering, and you know what? He's going to give you a bigger house a new car, a new job, healing from all your diseases. But you know what? That is not Christianity. That is idolatry, lifting up the things that are temporary and using God to get them. That is not the gospel. That is idolatry. Because when we are asked to give, it is, yes, you can give to God, but do you see, it is God who has first given all to us, and when we are able to give generously, we all of a sudden have our hearts expanded so that we too can have the generous heart of God for his mission work, and you get to be partners with God Almighty through the giving of your hands. True discipleship says, take the world, but give me Jesus. You can have all the gold, all the diamonds, all the dust of this world. You can have all of that. I just want Jesus. That is what it means to be a Christian. My spiritual condition is revealed by the loves of my life. Verse 5, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? He is saying he is jealous for your souls. He loves you so much. He wants you for himself, not to be shared by the enemy and the things of this world. He loves you and he wants you for himself. God wants all of you. Why? Because he loves you. And when you love someone, you want the best for them. And Jesus is the best that Jesus has to offer. And as your pastor, as one who loves you, as one who prays for you, as one who spends hours per week trying to be faithful to the true word of God so that I can feed you the true and living word each week, as one who loves you as a shepherd, I want the best for you, and that is why I want you to have Jesus as your supreme passion of your life. So I pray for you, for us, 
God, fill them with joy in your presence. Let them know that there is nothing greater than having you in their lives. And that is why I get weary when single people, because we have a lot of single people in our ministry, when single people get antsy about their singleness and what they long for and love is a relationship in this world more than a love relationship with God, I get weary because I need to remind you, all you single people out there, that as a single, the best thing you could ever have is a deep, intimate love relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the best thing in all the world you could ever have. And as a married person, the best thing that you could ever have is a deep, intimate love relationship with Jesus Christ. Because dating or marriage does not bring the greatest fulfillment within our lives. Only a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus can do that. Because only Jesus can complete you. I don't care what Hollywood says. I don't care what Tom Cruise says. And if you laughed at that, you're in my generation. If you have no idea where that came from, you're still young. And you could ask somebody who laughed the significance of that. Only Jesus can complete you. Only Jesus can truly satisfy the deepest longings of your hearts. I've counseled many single people and realized that it is Jesus that they are really longing for. I've counseled many married people and I realize that it is Jesus that they are missing in their lives. You see, when you expect another person to do what only God can do for your hearts, you are setting yourself up for deep disappointment. He is the best. In all the world, Jesus is the best, and he is jealous for you. But not in the way that this world is jealous, but with a holy, loving jealousy that only wants the best for you. Just as I am jealous for my son's love, that I do not want him to chase after things that will harm his relationship with God, I am godly jealous for him to know Jesus and him alone and to live for him alone. Jesus is the best love choice for your life, always. You will never go wrong. You will never grow lonely when Jesus is your supreme love. And our level of satisfaction with the love of Jesus is a clear temperature gauge for where we are at spiritually. If we respond, yeah, Jesus loves me, this I know, yeah, 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 I've heard that all before ever since I was little. But when you get excited about that car or you get excited about that pay raise or those shoes, what you love reveals your spiritual condition. Or if we're like the love of Jesus, how precious, how sweet, there is nothing greater. There's no greater honor in all the world than to live for Jesus. There is no greater honor in all the world than to be called his. There is no greater honor in all the world than to know that I belong to him and he has chosen me and given me the honor and privilege of partnering with him, of bringing this good news to the ends of the earth. There is no greater honor. There is no greater privilege. There is no higher calling than to be his. 
my spiritual condition is revealed by the loves of my life. But we fail him time and time again, don't we? Our hearts are prone to wander. We don't love him the way that we should. We don't long for him the way that we should. We long so much more for our selfish desires. We love so many temporary things more than we love him. And so verse 6 gives us hope. Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Amen. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. For those who humble themselves before God, honestly confessing our sins and our failings, he gives more grace. We fail, but God forgives time and time again. Admit that we need his grace to change our cold, selfish hearts, to change our desires, to desire him, and grace will be there for he gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves therefore to God. This is about putting your life under the authority of Jesus. It is about submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ. The basic beginning and foundation of Christianity is when Christ is your everything. That's not the high standard for pastors, missionaries, small group leaders. That is the beginning, bare-bone, basic foundation of Christianity. It is when Christ is your everything. Everything. He calls the shots. If he says stay in Korea, you stay in Korea. If he says go to the unreached parts of this world, you go. You obey Gladly, joyfully, quickly, and completely you obey. Why? Because he is Lord. Then he says, resist the devil. Stop bowing down to any other authority. Jesus is your Lord now. Verse 8, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Draw near to God and you know what? you'll find he's always been waiting for you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Do you feel far from God? Do you feel like he is a million miles away? Draw near to God. Take that one step of faith towards him and God will run the rest of the way. God will run a million miles to be next to you. God will cross over mountains for you. God will swim across oceans to be with you. No, even better yet, God will die on a cross for your sins so that you might be with him for all of eternity. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Pray for single-minded, single-hearted loyalty in your love for Jesus. Let's stop playing church, amen? Let's stop flirting with the world, flirting with Jesus. No more double-mindedness in this ministry. No more divided loyalty. Jesus is Lord. We live for him. We love him. And this is, these convictions 
is what led me to revamp our membership class, which is why we're going to do OEM 101. For the past several months, if I've been praying and preparing for this, I realize God's been convicting my heart. It's time to start changing the culture of this ministry into a kingdom culture that no longer is lukewarm and settles for second rate. We need to give God our best. Amen? We need to be a ministry that's marked... We need to be a ministry that is marked by a passion for Christ and his kingdom and a people who give their best because he is worthy of the best, because he is the best. Verse 9, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. This is the language of the prophets who would warn Israel of the, their complacency towards sin and of coming judgment as a result. But when he says, let your laughter be turned to mourning, he's not saying don't have fun. Right? Don't laugh, don't have fun. That's how a lot of people view Christianity, right? What he means by that is he is saying, don't get so comfortable with sin that you can laugh about it. When sin is no big deal in your life anymore. He's saying, be careful. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Recognize your spiritual poverty and be able to say to God, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so our spiritual condition is revealed by the longings and desires of our hearts. It is revealed by the loves of our lives, the things that we hold closest to us. He's saying, be careful of loving the same things that the world loves. And there's third, that my spiritual condition is revealed by my lips. Everyone repeat, my lips. Okay, the words of our hearts. Look at James 4, verse 11 and following. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers, the one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So he's saying, don't put yourself as a judge by putting down others as if you were in the place of God. Speaking evil against another person is a form of pride. It is elevating yourself by pushing someone else down. And this term, speaking evil against another person, had three kinds of potential meanings. Meaning one, speaking evil against someone could mean to question the authority of a leader out of resentment for that leader. Okay, so now, it's important. Now, if you have a leader, or if I or anyone else on the staff ever preach something that is not of Scripture or contradictory to the Word of God, you have every right to question us. But, again, questioning leaders is fine, but why you want to question leadership, that is more important to God. Motives matter. So to question the authority of a leader is an important tool to keep when necessary. 
But if the motive is out of resentment, then that is something that we need to take before the Lord. Second meaning of this, to speak evil against someone, is to slander someone in secret, painting an evil picture of someone. Because sometimes we're like, hey, they never heard. They're never going to know. God knows. And we live for the audience of one. We do not do things if other people can hear it. If other people are happy about it, we do things for the Lord. Amen? Third potential meaning of speaking evil against someone is to incorrectly accuse someone, to lie about them. So as I mentioned last week, what we say reveals the condition of our hearts. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The true spiritual condition of our hearts is revealed by the speech of our lips. Which is why Proverbs 13.3 says, those who guard their lips preserve their lives. There's an integral connection between our life and what comes out of our lips, both towards others and towards God. So what is our heart attitude when we pray? That also reveals the condition of our hearts. Do we pray, ask God, and think, hey, I deserve this? Or do we say, God, I don't deserve anything. I need your mercy. But you desire to know the wants of my heart. God, this is it. Do we say to God, how come you don't give me what I want and become bitter? Or do we say, God, I'm so thankful for what you have already given to me. It is more than what I have deserved. Motives matter in the place of prayer. The primary purpose of our words is to bless God and build up others. And one of the greatest ways to do this is to bless the name of the Lord, to bless one another, and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I say to you, I bless you today in the name of Jesus. I speak life into your life today. In the name of Jesus, I speak blessing into your life today. I speak forth healing into your life today. I speak forth fruitfulness into your life here today. I speak forth faith to be awakened in you today. For hope to grow strong for tomorrow and for love to overflow from your life and into the city. May your longings always be for more of Jesus. May you love Christ and his kingdom more than anything else in this world. And may your lips always declare the greatness of Christ and be a blessing to all who hear the words of your mouth to the praise of his glorious grace. Let's pray. Can we honor the presence of the Lord that is here today, right now, acknowledging that he is here and that he searches hearts Can we honor the Lord and ask him to search our hearts now, 
to reveal to us anything and everything that is of our selfish desires, of temporary loves, of evil speech. Can we humble ourselves before the Lord right now, confess that our longings, our loves, our words have not been for the Lord? But as we humble ourselves, he gives more grace. Grace awaits you even now. And if he, if you feel he's been distant, you feel he's a million miles away, take this step of faith, this one step of faith towards him today. He will run the rest of the way. That is how much he loves you. That is how much he desires to be with you. So let's come before the Lord in prayer right now. And let's approach his throne of grace. Let's pray. Father God, we cry out, worthy is the lamb that was slain. You are worthy to be praised. You are worthy to be lived for. You are worthy to be pursued above anything else or anyone else on this planet. You are worthy. And Father, we just want to speak forth your life-giving breath into this place right now. Awaken hearts to begin beating for you. Awaken hearts to begin beating for you. More than the passions for our sports teams more than the passions of a pay raise, more than the passions of pursuing an earthly relationship. Let the hearts in this room burn for you. Love you, Jesus, more than anything in this world. Enough adultery, enough half-heartedness. We want to give you all of our hearts. We want to live with you with all of our hearts. We want to worship you with all of our hearts. We want to pray to you with all of our hearts for all of our days, God. No more half-heartedness. No more lukewarm Christianity. No more half-hearted Christianity wholeheartedness that burns for you. And let that burning be contagious. So that the lives of all we interact with would be set ablaze with a passion for your name so that the cities that we live in would burn with a holy fire of justice and righteousness, so that the nations that we live in would burn for you. Let North Korea burn with a passion for the name of Jesus. We long for the day where we will all gather together in that capital city again 
lifting up the name of Jesus and experiencing the mighty pouring of your Spirit's fire over this peninsula in ways that this world has never seen. Let it be, Lord. Let it be. You've done it before, God. Do it again! You are able. You have poured out your spirit over Pyongyang before, Lord. Do it again! You have allowed Pyongyang to be the Jerusalem of Asia, raising up churches of prayer and a passionate praise for your name. Do it again! From that city, you have sent forth people to the nations with your gospel. From that city, you began a new work that impacted the world. Do it again. Nothing is too difficult for you. Do it again. Do it again, Lord. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than what we have asked for even now in prayer. To our almighty God who is able to do more than what we can even imagine with our finite imaginations. According to the power at work within us through the power of the living God called the Holy Spirit that is at work within us, according to that power, do it again. To Him, Almighty One, be glory, majesty, praise, and honor in His church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations and throughout all the nations on this planet. May they praise Your name forever and ever. Amen.